One plus one equals one. You've been seeing and hearing that for a month now here at Grace. And some of you are thinking or have been thinking, what are those pastors smoking? This must be common core math. Some of you are smoking something, and so you're thinking, man, I always knew I was right. Some of you now are smoking mad because you're thinking, that's not a fair representation of Common Core. Now, to be fair, one of you who's in this room right now explained Common Core math to me once, and I appreciated the reminder that I am an idiot, and at at the very least, I am old and I was raised in the wrong century. But I swear, I'm not smoking nothing. Now, in my defense, this math is this 1 plus 1 equals 1 math comes from 3,500 years ago. God created this math, and it works. Now, of course, Moses was not trying to give a math lesson. Moses instead was giving a lesson in marriage. Moses wanted you and I to know what God did when he joins one man and one woman to become one married couple. Now, whoa, wait a minute. There are at least four groups of people in this room who are tempted right now to tune out of this sermon now that they know that it's a marriage sermon. There are single people here. There are LGBTQ people here. There are divorced or unhappily married people here. And there are some of us who are just so sick and tired of too much heat and not enough light in the culture wars concerning marriage. Allow me a moment to address each of these valid concerns. If you are single, please allow me to speak to you about marriage. Not because you must get married or because you're less a person because you are not married. I don't believe either of those things. Let me say clearly, you do not have to be married to have a fully realized life. Singleness, like marriage, is a gift, and it is a legitimate expression of full, healthy, godly humanity. And shame on us if we ever intimate or express something other than this. If singleness weren't a full expression of humanity, then Jesus, Paul, Augustine, Emily Dickinson, and Mother Teresa would all be less human. I don't think so. Now, if you are LGBTQ, please allow me a moment. I'm glad you're here. You are welcome here. Welcome not because you're going to agree with everything we say. Welcome not because we will be comfortable with everything you say. Welcome because we believe that you, like every single other person here, needs Jesus. We are all here because we need Jesus. We are all here warped and we are curved in on ourselves and therefore we need Jesus. This is where to find Jesus. So, 
welcome. Now, what about you if you are divorced or you're unhappily married? I want to welcome you too. I want to welcome you and I promise I will not shame you. I'm not going to shame anyone here. I want to celebrate a great good, marriage. And I hope that by the end of this sermon, you will also celebrate this great good with me. And lastly, if you are sick and tired of all the acrimony, of all the high horse sitting throughout the culture on both sides of the question, so am I. Allow me to promise you, this morning, no polemics. I intend not to be more heat than light. Today, I don't care about the culture wars. I care about what God says. First and foremost, today we are not anti-anything. First and foremost, today we are pro-human. We are pro-creation. We are pro, in this case, marriage. And pro-marriage, not because we're politically conservative, because there are a great number of you out there who are not politically conservative. We are not that here. We are pro-marriage because God is pro-marriage, because God is pro-human, because God is pro-creation. So I invite you today. I invite you to make up your mind based upon what the Bible says. Make up your mind based upon what the Bible says, not based upon what anyone with an axe to grind has to say. You decide if what I have to say comes from God's Word or if it's just me talking. Now, one more thing. I understand there are landmines in this discussion. I am certain to say something that triggers you. Please do me the favor of not taking immediate offense. There is no offense intended from me. Talk to me afterwards, and I will apologize if I have misrepresented God in any way. Because this is what I know. Christ, and Christ alone, is the answer to the landmines in our discussion. Christ and Christ alone is the answer to the brokenness of marriage from within and from without. Because it is the cross that covers every person who trusts the promises of God. Not only the landmines we step on, but all my sins are forgiven. And yours can be too. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, you are not too far for God to find you. Let me give you my sermon in one sentence. This morning, God created marriage to be one man and one woman to become one flesh. That is, become covenant partners together in community with Him to spread joy and to glorify Him everywhere we go. Now, of course, it's true in a fallen world, there is no such thing as a perfect marriage. And you have to start somewhere. So I want to start where the Bible starts. At the beginning. One plus one equals one. Let's read from Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 to 25. Then the Lord God said, 
It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to all the birds and to the heavens and to the beasts of the fields. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of the ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And then the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, we are not going to finish this passage today. I need to lay some groundwork this morning and then plan to finish it next Sunday, Lord willing. But we will learn 1 plus 1 equals 1. So I want to open God's Word to our heart and mind first, beginning at the end of our passage so that we can see where we get this big idea. Verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The man and his wife shall become one flesh. Moses wrote this verse editorializing on the story he just narrated. According to Moses, the result of what happened in the garden, what we just read, because of that, we have marriage as we experience it today. Now commonly, these words are given one or more of three interpretations. The one plus one equals one flesh is often taken to mean physical intimacy, It's often taken to mean the children produced by this intimacy. And it's also commonly taken to because each marriage points back to that first marriage, Adam and Eve. This one fleshness reminds us that Adam and Eve were literally of one flesh, and we should therefore also so live. Now, all three of these are work. They're all true. But individually, they miss the point. They miss the point of the passage. And that's because Moses here, in talking about this one fleshness, is actually pointing to the reality of the couple imaging God. Showing God to the world. God is showing Himself to the world in mankind in community. Now, we reflect God's image in us together. More on that in a moment. But let us not forget that one plus one equals one. So let's go back to the start of the passage and see how this works out. Verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now, the first thing we notice here at the beginning of Genesis is that the initiative is always God's. God starts the picture. God starts everything rolling. God created the world. God formed all the plants and animals. God made the first marriage. You can't miss this. Well, unless you're trying to miss it. 
You can't miss that God is the absolute authority on every matter. In this case, on every matter concerning marriage. Now, we don't want to hear this today. I don't care who you are. You have your ideas of what this should look like and you don't want someone else telling you what to think. No culture has. Nevertheless, don't determine truth based upon what your heart tells you. Our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. Determine the truth by what makes the most sense of the world as it really is. And the Bible is the best, most consistently correct interpreter interpreter of creation. Now the second thing I want to note out of verse 18 is that following chapter 1, where everything is good, everything is good, 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 until it's very good, we all of a sudden get here to verse 18 of chapter 2 and we find something that's not good. Well, what is not good? That man is alone. You see, mankind, every single human being, was created for community. And this not goodness is meant to shock you. It's meant to wake you up as you're reading the Bible. So when you see this, you should open your mind and pay attention to what is happening right here. Mankind is meant to exemplify the old math. One plus one equals one. Now I would love to take the time to demonstrate that in Genesis 1 and 2, Moses is specifically taking pains to describe four aspects of the image of God and man. Four ways in which we are like God, or at least like mirrors of God to show Him to the world. These four aspects are we are made to be in community, we are made to be creative, we are made to make eternally significant choices, and we are made to wear a crown. We are made, we are meant to be responsible stewards of God's earth. This morning, however, the most important aspect of the image of God in us is community. You see, community was written directly into the creation story. Allow me to read verses 26 and 27 of chapter 1. Moses writes, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. It is absolutely clear, over and over and in even throughout Scripture, we find that God created us in His His image. Male and female, He created us. And according to this chapter, we have a job to do. God gave mankind a crown. He gave us a labor of love to steward God's creation. 
Not, by the way, to destroy it with all the poisons we are pumping into it, but that's another sermon. What we discover in verse 18, next verse, is that no one can do this job by ourselves. We can't steward creation. We can't be in community. And you can't show at least one crucial aspect of the image of God apart from the marriage kind of relationship. The marriage kind of community. Now marriage is not the only kind of community. Do not misunderstand me. Not everyone is meant to be married or married now. You, right where you are, Image Christ, single, divorced, LGBTQ. It doesn't matter. You image forth Christ. And marriage images Christ differently. Marriage images God with this godly math. One plus one equals one. And so, because this is true, we see in verse 18 a key word. God says, I will make a helper fit for him. Now some are looking at this word helper as it relates to the woman's relationship to the man, and they're thinking to themselves, see, the Bible is misogynistic, trying to keep women down. Nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, in every culture that has been transformed by the Bible, they have seen the lot of women increase. On the contrary, the word helper has wonderful associations in God's word. For example, in each of the times Moses uses this word, apart from this passage, and every time he uses it, the helper he refers to is God himself. And then we find in Joshua 1.14 and 2 Samuel 8.5, the helper that is being described is an army And then we find in 1 Kings 1.7, the helper is the current high priest of Israel. And finally, in Daniel 10.13, the helper who is described in that passage is the archangel Michael. This is no subservient group of people. Eve was not meant to be subservient to Adam, nor will the wife be subservient to the husband. Instead, A helper is one who lives in community with the one who needs help. The helper is given to enable the person helped to do what they could not have done by themselves. The wife cannot be considered inferior. A helper in the biblical sense is a partner. And the wife is perfectly designed by God to do for and with the man, what they could not do on their own. Stewarding God's creation, being fruitful and multiplying, and most importantly, imaging a vital aspect of God that is, God is in community. And God wants community for us. And so that's why God made Eve to be a helper who was perfectly fashioned for Adam. All right. So right here at the start, we find that marriage is meant to be a uniting of the man and woman into one flesh. It is Marriage is a special community with a specific task 
Children certainly, but not necessarily children. The specific task of a married couple is to live in community to reflect God's image as he describes it in chapter 1. Let me go back to verse 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created him. Again, back to this image of God. God created man in his own image. How did he do it? Male and female. God wants to clarify. God wants to make it absolutely perfectly clear. God wants you not to miss it that the marriage is about showing him to the world. Now, once again, if you are single, you still image forth God. So a whole other sermon that I can't preach right now. Go back and look at my Sunday evening sermons. I've done that sermon in the past. Nevertheless, a married couple, one man and one woman becoming one flesh, images forth God differently than we do as singles. The old-fashioned word for it is particularly. How so? How does the married couple do it? Because while an individual images God in the aspects of choice, creativity, and crown, only a man and woman as one flesh images God as community. God exists in three in one. He is Father, He is Son, and He is Holy Spirit. Man and woman as one flesh mirrors this so that the world can see this community aspect of God. Then we see that three in one gives birth, so to speak, to all of creation. One flesh gives birth to more humans in the image of God, which brings glory to Him and joy to us. Even if a particular married couple does not produce children, the capacity to do so, as God intends, exists nowhere else. There is so much that could be said on this point I just don't have time for. So let me get, offer you a word. If you struggle with what I am saying right here, I'm not surprised. Some of the points I will address next week, but some of them I won't then either. So come up and talk to me. We'll talk this through. But I want to make some affirmations. I want to make some affirmations based upon what we have covered so far. The first is marriage and singleness are healthy expressions of full humanity. And both are a gift of God to his people. If you are married, you are intended to be a gift of God to his people. If you are single, you are intended by God to be a gift to his people. You are not less no matter which gift you have. Secondly, marriage is one man and one woman covenanting to become one flesh. That much is clear, and we will get to that some more next week. Thirdly, marriage is in a special sense an expression of the image of God. God exists in community, and he wants that for you as well. But we need to make at least one more affirmation. Marriage is in a special sense a part of this image of God 
and his relationship to his people through Jesus. We don't get that from this passage. Instead, Paul affirms that there is another aspect of how one man plus one woman making one flesh images God. Marriage images the relationship God has through Christ with his people. I get this from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 and 2. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Paul adds, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Here you will see clearly that Paul is pointing back to verse 25 of our passage, and he adds on an aspect that we would not have otherwise known had we only read Moses. And because Paul is also an inspired writer, we must pay attention to what he says. So what is it? You husband, you must live with your wife in such a way that people can see. Imperfectly to be sure, you must live with your wife in such a way that people can see that you are a living example of Christ. Okay, what aspect of Christ must we exemplify? We must exemplify his love for his bride the church, us. And here is the cross. Here is the cross. Here is where what Christ has done for everyone comes into our story. Anyone here got all of this down right? You're perfect at it? No. All y'all who are single, you got this all dialed in, right? LGBTQ, you're ready. No problems. You got this. Divorced, unhappily married, you're good, right? How about you smug guy who thinks he has all the answers because he's been married for so long? Yeah, just ask your wife. No. Nobody's got this figured out. There is no such thing as a perfect marriage. I usually say this about parenting. I say, you know, 21 years ago, I was the perfect dad. 24 years ago, I was, well, I wasn't married, so I could, ah, yeah, it didn't work. We need the cross. In our hearts of hearts, we know that we missed the boat. We know that we are sinners. And all of our posturing, all of our high horse sitting, whichever side of the aisle you find yourself, all of that just goes to prove that you and I need the cross. You can't do this yourself. You need community. And this community starts at the cross. It's starts with the humility to say yes to God. I can't do this on my own. Forgive me, Father, for sinning against you, thinking that I can do this on my own. Community then continues by going to your neighbor of every stripe and saying, brother, sister, 
Forgive me for letting myself think that I can do this on my own. That I've got all the answers. Because I don't. But I know this. Because God's Word says this. I know this. The ancient math is correct. One plus one equals one. Paul makes it clear that we need Jesus. <laughs> we need Jesus in all of our lives. And there is so much left to say. I will be coming back to this next week. And even after that, we won't have all our answers. But allow me to make two applications. First, for those of us who are single, or even for those of us who are married but don't want to participate in what I'm about to describe, that's good. I want to open your eyes and ears to something. Understand that marriage, like singleness, by the way, is a gift from God. And that marriage, and singleness, by the way, stands under His authority to define what it is, what it means, and how we should go about living it. Simply that. Simply that. Embrace humility. <laughs> we all could use a little more humility in our life. And so, whether you receive or reject God's teaching on marriage, be willing to discuss the matter and be willing to agree to disagree and be willing to go to God's Word yourself. Don't be blinded by what is new and fashionable. How about another idea? One plus one equals one. Several of us here have a vision. We here at Grace want to celebrate marriage in a healthy, non-attacking way. We have no bones to pick with anybody with this vision. We don't want to fight anyone except the sin that is in our own hearts. Christians, Christian, you, we want you to join with us to stand up for what we value. And we value marriage, healthy, godly marriage, because God values marriage. If you are married, we would like to invite you to sign up for our classes. And these classes are going to start in August. And the plan will be to go through some scripture and some sharing some testimonies that are designed to encourage us to recommit to our spouses. Now, not everyone who's involved in this program is going to want to renew their vows, but some will. And so, with this in mind, we will have a vow renewal ceremony on Sunday, September 29th at 5 p.m. We're going to have a barbecue. There's going to be flowers and pictures and all kinds of floofy stuff that I don't have any idea about. And we're going to invite family and friends. We're going to invite perhaps people who don't know Jesus. We're going to invite perhaps people who really aren't sure what the Bible says about marriage. We're going to invite perhaps people who have heard wrong things and don't really understand what the Bible teaches about 
marriage. And perhaps as we invite people, perhaps because grace celebrates what marriage is, what we value, they will understand this value and perhaps participate in it with us. But no matter what, people around us will know what Christians are for, what we value instead of what we are against. Now, if you would like to join us, we have a sign-up booth right in the hall, straight back there. Sign up for one of our classes. If you would like to participate in the vow renewal ceremony in September, we will discuss what that looks like in our classes and what we are going to ask those who participate with us to agree to. In the meantime, sign up in the hallway if you would like to know more. Or read the bulletin insert, which I forgot even though I told myself not to. And pray that God would lead you to making godly decisions concerning your life with your spouse. And then come back next week as we finish our passage and seek to know God better so that we will love Him and trust Him more. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give You the glory. We give You the praise. We thank You, God, that You love us and You have been so kind to us to give us our spouses. Lord, I thank You for my wife. I thank You for how patient she is with me and how loving she is and to my family. I pray that I and many others here at Grace will learn to love our spouses better so that we will know you and therefore trust you and love you more. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.